0: After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whenever you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven. Whenever you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. But Thomas, one of the twelve, the one called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples kept telling him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. After eight days, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Take your hand and put it into my side. Do not continue to doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus, in the presence of his disciples, did many other miraculous signs that are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of our Lord. We pray. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Amen. Please be seated. Your fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, our risen Savior. Did those words from John chapter 20 sound familiar to you? If not, they really should. These words, this account, because it happens, it occurs exactly seven days after that first Easter, the week after Easter, the the Sunday we're on right now, are appointed as the gospel. in each of the three years of our lectionary, and so they're read every single year, three years in a row. You know what the temptation is, then, with a text like this? It's to beat up on poor Thomas, right? To kind of make ourselves... Feel good by looking down on Thomas. I mean, after all, he was an apostle. He had spent three years with Jesus, and now he doubts that Jesus has done exactly what he promised to do die and then rise again on the third day. He's so stubborn, he, he won't even believe his fellow disciples. He won't even believe by seeing. He insists, I need to put my fingers in those nail holes and put my hand into the side before I will believe. It's so easy. He's such an easy target. It's easy to kick him from, uh, when he's down, especially from a safe distance of 2,000 years. But today, we're not going to do that. Today, what we're going to do is, is try to better understand Thomas. Maybe even see ourselves in him. And then, most importantly, see how Jesus sees him and, and sees us. Over the centuries, the phrase doubting Thomas has become as universal and ubiquitous and common as the phrase social distancing is today. There's a problem with that phrase, though. It's not really accurate. It's giving Thomas more credit than he deserves. Thomas wasn't on the fence about Jesus' resurrection. He doesn't say, I doubt if what you saw last Sunday was actually the risen Lord. He doesn't say... I'm having a hard time grasping that. He says, I will never believe. In fact, the Greek is even stronger. Uh, It's a no-no in English to use a double negative, right? You learned that in grade school. But in in Greek, it's just fine. And, And this is a double negative. If I were to put it in terms we might use today, Thomas said, ain't no way I'm going to believe that you saw the risen Savior. He's not a doubter. He's an unbeliever. Now, there's a big difference between being a doubter and an unbeliever. If you read the Bible at all, if you know your Bible at all, you know that doubters fill the pages of Scripture. They're littered from Genesis to Revelation. Think of Moses. He doubted that he had what it took to lead the people of Israel. Think of Elijah. He doubted that there were any other believers left in Israel when he was with the Lord on Mount Horeb. Think of Peter on the Sea of Galilee. He doubted that he would be able to survive the wind and the waves. Those are doubters. Doubters still belong in the kingdom of God. They still belong to the church. Thomas was outside of the church. Unbelief places you outside of the church, and that's confirmed in the text, right? John says that the disciples are gathered there again in that room, and Thomas was with them. The text itself puts Thomas outside of the church. As as Mark 16, 16 makes clear, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, whoever does not believe will be condemned. As Thomas stood right here, because of his unbelief, he was as good as condemned. Jesus even says it too. Again, our translation isn't completely accurate. Jesus doesn't tell him, do not continue to doubt. The words that Jesus uses are, do not continue to be unbelieving. Believe. How hard-hearted do you have to be to reject the eyewitness testimony of your best friends, of your fellow disciples for over a week. Again, the the original text makes clear that his disciple friends were trying to convince him day after day after day, we really have seen the Lord. And he's just not buying it. He doesn't buy their testimony. He's not having any of it. In fact, he seems pretty militant about it, doesn't he? He doesn't just say, ah, you guys believe He says, unless I put my finger in the nail holes, unless I put my hand into his side, unless I see and touch Jesus, I will not believe. He's an example of, of a militant unbeliever who's not content to just dwell on his own unbelief, but he's actually trying to convince the other disciples to doubt to be unbelieving as well. Now, it might sound like I'm kicking poor Thomas when he's down, but... I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to give you a a more accurate picture of him. He's not just a doubter. He is a militant unbeliever. He's trying to bring others over to his side. What makes this situation all the more strange is that we get such a different picture of Thomas if you page page backward just a couple chapters in John's Gospel. Remember, in John chapter 11, word had come to Jesus that his friend Lazarus had died. And Jesus makes up his mind, well, we're going to go to Judea then, and I'm going to help. And his disciples are a little hesitant. They try to get him to reconsider. They say to him, Rabbi, recently the Jews were trying to stone you, and you are going back there again? Understandable. If there's a price in your head, you probably wouldn't want to go back to the very place where your enemies are. But what does Thomas say? Even as the other disciples are afraid, Thomas says boldly, Let's go too so that we may die with him. That's not doubt. That's not unbelief we see in Thomas then. That's devotion. That's loyalty. That's faithfulness. That's bravery. There's one other thing about Thomas that, honestly, before I studied the text this week, I hadn't really thought about too much. In John chapter 11 there, that's the first time that John identifies him as the twin. If you know other versions of the Bible, you may know him as Didymus. And, and both the name Thomas and Didymus actually mean twin. Thomas is from the, the Hebrew or the Aramaic, and Didymus is from the Greek. The twin. You know, the, the curious part is that even though John names him three times as a twin, he never says who his twin is. So what does that mean? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire John to identify him as a twin when we're not told who his twin is? well, There were some heretics in the early Christian church who suggested that Thomas was actually Jesus' biological twin. Well, we know that can't be true because then Thomas would also be God in human flesh. That must be false. So what what is it? Why does John identify him as the twin? Not once, not twice, but three times. I ran across an interesting theory, I think one that that may fit with the Thomas that we know from Scripture. You know how Jesus nicknamed Peter the Rock and nicknamed James and John the Sons of Thunder as kind of an identifying characteristic of, of them? What if the twin is a nickname for Thomas? That... Thomas was stuck to Jesus like glue. That wherever Jesus was going to go, as we know from John chapter 11, that's where Thomas was going to go to, even if it meant his own death. What if it means that Thomas and Jesus had such a close relationship, it was like they were twin brothers? That would add some intrigue, wouldn't it? That would add some drama to this account. Again, that's speculation, so if you don't agree with me, that's fine. It doesn't really change matters at all. But think about that. If you put all those pieces together, Thomas is pretty brave, pretty loyal, pretty devoted to Jesus. Just like the other disciples, he had sworn that he would rather die than deny or abandon Jesus. And then when the rubber hit the road, when the going got tough in the Garden of Gethsemane, Thomas and the rest of the disciples ran away like scared little children. Thomas didn't even have the courage of Peter and John to follow Jesus into the temple courtyards to see what was going to happen to him there. He certainly didn't have the courage, to, like John did, to go and stand at the foot of the cross so that Jesus wouldn't have to die alone. It's been a week since all of that happened. And if you're Thomas, what has to be going through your mind? Guilt. Shame. You've got to be smothered by it, right? You can't even stand to look yourself in the mirror after all that you've done, all of you've said, all that Jesus has done for you. You abandon him in his moment of greatest need? Wouldn't you have to think that that guilt would be weighing him down? Fear? Even despair? And, and to make matters worse, here for a week, your fellow disciples have been saying, we've seen the risen Lord. We saw the holes in his hands and the, the gash in his side. We saw it all. We talked to them. He ate food in front of us. And, and you didn't see it. Jesus didn't appear to you. And you know how the devil works on you that way? The devil could have suggested to Thomas, there's a reason Jesus didn't appear to you. You denied him. You ran away from him. You abandoned him in his moment of need. You have fallen away from his grace. You are not worthy to have him if he is risen as your Savior. You know what that's like, right? You know how we see between bravery and boldness in our faith and, and fear and despair and thinking, can any of this really be true? It doesn't feel like it. It's certainly the case for pastors in this week after Easter, but I don't think it's just pastors either. But the high of Easter, shouting Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, singing all of our favorite hymns, and then Monday comes. Same problems, same pains, same fears, same despair, same sins that, that we thought, we hoped, a risen Savior would help us stop committing, and we fall into a pit again. I don't think that's just my experience. I'm sure we all know what that's like, right? Going from the high of Easter to the the dull drums of everyday life. So in Thomas, what do we see? Don't we see ourselves? Don't you know what it's like to be caught up in despair and thinking, well, Jesus might be the Savior for other people, but he couldn't be your Savior. Not after what you've done, not after what you said, not after what you thought. Not after you came into here into God's house and vowed that you would leave your life of sin just to go back to it the very next day. You know how Satan can whisper into your ear and say, there's a reason you don't feel Jesus' presence in your life. Because he's, he's given up on you. You're too bad. You're too wicked. He would never love someone like you. And that's, that's why we, this is a great gift that God has given us to see Thomas here. Because not only do we see ourselves in Thomas, not only is it like looking in a mirror, but we also get to see how, Tom, how Jesus feels about Thomas and how Jesus feels about us. Let's just zoom out for a second and, and see where this account falls in the, the grand scheme of things, in the big picture. Remember, the Bible, it should be obvious, the Bible's not about Thomas. The Bible is all about God's plan to fulfill his promise to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to stomp out sin, death, and the devil and their power over us once and for all. The Bible is the story of how God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, delivered him into this world through the womb of the Virgin Mary, how he compelled Jesus to, to be obedient to every word, every letter of his law, because we could never do it. How after Jesus had kept God's law perfectly, God hung him on a cross, nailed him to a tree, and made him pay for our sins, and then three days later later raised him to life to prove that we have been justified, to prove that our sins and the sins of the world have been wiped away. I want you to grasp that. The worldwide nature of this. Jesus carried the sins of the world to the cross. His resurrection proves that the sins of the world have been buried in that tomb, never to be seen again. And with redemption accomplished, there was just one thing left to do, right? Spread the news. Spread the news. And yet, stick with me here. I I know this is a little off topic, a little bunny trail, but remember... Last week in our gospel lesson, the angel told the women, go and tell the disciples, Jesus is going to Galilee ahead of you. Go there and meet him. And what do they do? (laughs) Wouldn't you think they would go right away? If that was the promise, you're going to see Jesus there. But they stall. They stick around in Jerusalem. They stay hidden in a locked room for seven days, for an entire week. Why? Thomas, right? Thomas wasn't believing. Now, it's interesting, there are only four days between Easter and Jesus' ascension into heaven. He wants the ministry to proceed. The church needs to get out there and proclaim the good news of his resurrection to the world so that people can be saved by believing it. And yet, Jesus delays those plans for one guy, for unbelieving Thomas. Isn't that something? I guess it's not that strange of a storyline, is it? You know, there have been books that have been written and movies made and awards are given each and every year to the, to the teachers and the coaches and the mentors that put up with the bad child, right? The, the dead-end child, the child that, 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 that's not going anywhere. And the, the teacher or the coach or the mentor, they, they, they put everyone else on hold to, to pay special attention to this one troubled child, to try to bring them from, from whatever trouble they're facing so that they can be successful in life. And isn't that exactly what Jesus is doing here with Thomas? He put the whole world on hold. He put the gospel ministry on hold for one guy, for unbelieving, militantly unbelieving Thomas. Outreach is a hot button term in the church today, it has been for, for a couple decades. Thomas was unreachable. His friends tried, right? They told him over and over again, We have seen the Lord. He was too lost in the depths of his despair, his unbelief. They couldn't reach him. But Jesus did. And isn't it amazing how he did? If you were Jesus, wouldn't you have at least scolded him? How dare you not believe when you not only have the eyewitness testimony of the women, but your fellow disciples? How dare you, Thomas? You know me better than that. I'm good to my word. How dare you? But Jesus doesn't do that. What does he say? Peace be with you. And then he he condescends to, to telling Thomas, go ahead, put your fingers in my hands. Put your hand in my side. Stop doubting. Don't be unbelieving, but believe. And with those words, Jesus brings Thomas out of his pit of despair and unbelief and gives him... A confident confession, right? In fact, Thomas goes even beyond what the other disciples said. The other disciples only said, we have seen the Lord. What does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. What a powerful confession that is from a formerly hardened unbeliever, something that only Jesus could do. And that is where we gain our confidence today. I don't know if, if you like... Myself and and many pastors felt that lull, that low of this past week of, of leaving Easter behind and realizing nothing has really changed that much. Life is still life. Life is still hard. Life is still troublesome and it's hard to see Jesus in your life at all. But this account gives us confidence. Looking at Thomas, more importantly, looking at how Jesus saw Thomas gives us confidence. Be confident that Jesus doesn't love you any less than he loved Thomas. Be confident that that Jesus still will put the whole world on hold if you and and when you are suffering and you need him. Be confident above all that that all it takes for Jesus to pull you out of the depths of unbelief and despair is his word. Be confident in these words that, that John wrote. These are words that John wrote for you and for me. These things are written that you may believe and that by believing you may have life in his name. Be confident that Jesus still comes to you, assures you of his presence in the waters of baptism, in the the word of absolution. The reason he commissioned those disciples and he called me here to proclaim that your sins are forgiven is so that you would never forget that so that you would be sure that Jesus is still here for you and he still loves you and he still forgives you. Be confident that Jesus is putting the whole world on hold to hand you individually his body and his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Be confident. Be confident. Learn confidence from Thomas that it doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter if you can't, see Jesus in your life at all. It doesn't matter if you feel totally abandoned. It doesn't matter if you look around at the rest of the world and they seem so happy and you seem so miserable because Jesus hasn't left you behind. You haven't fallen from his love. Thomas is proof of that. He gives us the confidence to say today, when we're seven days after Easter, my Lord and my God. Where would we be without stories like this, right? We would we would have deceived ourselves into thinking, those disciples, they're so strong in their faith, and I'm not. They never wavered when the rest of the world seemed to turn against them, and I just don't have that courage. No, we are just like the disciples. We are unbelieving, doubting, loyal one day, disloyal the next people, just like Thomas was, and we have a Savior just like Thomas has. The Lord hasn't abandoned you. And you haven't fallen away from his love. That's why he's given us the means of grace. That's why he comes to us week after week after week after week, assuring us of our forgiveness. Because Thomas didn't believe, but because Jesus still loved him anyway, we can say with confidence today, Jesus is our Lord and our God. Because if Thomas doesn't do anything else for us, he proves that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.